Good evening, Coastal, it's good to see you. Man, I am excited about this sermon this evening, so do me a favor, if you have a Bible, turn with me uh, to Genesis chapter 3, and I'm um, going to kind of multitask here for a moment. Um, if you don't have a Bible, it's probably one in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you, okay? Uh, but Genesis chapter 3, right at the beginning, third chapter in, it's going to be our jumping off spot. We've been doing a series called Shocked. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about being shocked by the difficulty of life, and I don't want you to be shocked by that. Life is difficult, and that's taught to us in God's Word. Uh, inside of your bulletin is a handout. You can follow along with me there. Uh, if you are not in a small group, we're really emphasizing the importance of being in a small group over the next few weeks, especially while we do this series, uh, small groups are going to kind of be going through the series with us. So if you're not in a small group and you still would like to be, that's been kind of, you've been hearing that and you're like, you know, I really need to do that. It's not too late. Okay. On the side of your bulletin is tear off. Just say, Hey, I still want to be in a small group. Give us your contact information. Uh, we will contact you this week and get you plugged into a small group. The second thing I want to remind you of last night, I was watching with my two boys. I was watching uh, the movie Courageous. Uh, I'm sure as many of you have seen that, if you have not, it's a great movie. In fact, there were several scenes in the movie Courageous where tears are trickling down my face. I'm trying to make sure my kids don't see me crying. You know, Dad, you ever done that? And, uh, but it's a great movie uh, about the importance of a dad in the life of the family. And as I was watching that, you know, I actually asked Pastor Jeff if I could make this announcement because uh, it ties into an announcement. I was reminded of how God has knitted things up. Uh, and I don't know why this is, uh, but there's something unique and special when a man takes spiritual leadership inside the home. And that's the way God ordained it, uh, and there's great spiritual power in that. And so with that in mind, uh, man, I really want to encourage you. We, we, we've got a, a, a retreat coming up in October. It's October 12th and 13th, and uh, it's a great way to take a next step in your spiritual growth and grow into spiritual maturity. And uh, man, I long to see a generation of dads and uh, dads-to-be young men grow into the spiritual leaders that God intends for them. And this is a great opportunity for you to do that, okay? So Sign up. Is there a sign up? Do we have to sign up for that, Jimbo? Yeah, where is that? Out there. Okay, so man, if you want to sign up, I really want to encourage you to sign up, okay? I do a lot of coaching of baseball. I've told you guys that before. And, and my initial speech, whenever I have a team in front of me, first practice, I sit them down and I say, listen, baseball is a game of failure. Uh, I said, in fact, if, um, if a major league baseball player fails seven out of ten times, what do we call that person? We call that person a Hall of Famer. And they're so good at their sport that they only fail seven out of ten times. And it's easy to understand why it's a difficult game. When you go into bat a baseball, you have a round bat, and someone is throwing a round ball at you in the major leagues, it's upwards of 90 miles an hour. On top of that, you, you know, the ball, some guys can throw curveballs and change them. It comes at different speeds. You have to adjust to the speed of the ball. On top of that, there's nine defenders in the field trying to keep you from reaching base safely. And it's always been a, a interesting to me how difficult it is to hit a baseball, and it, it's obvious to me. What is less obvious to me in sports, however, is the game of golf. You take a golf ball, you throw it on the ground. You take a golf club. Club's got a nice, big, wide, flat spot, right? There's nobody in front of you trying to stop you from hitting the golf ball, right? In fact, the game of golf, they're so concerned about your ability to hit it well, you're not even allowed to talk when someone stands over the ball. Did you know that? If someone talks, you're like, shh, 
please be quiet. I'm hitting. As if all the world should be at peace with this, right? You address the ball, and you go to hit the ball. How many of y'all want to see me hit this? You all on this side ought to be especially scared, all right? Because I never hit the ball straight. In fact, uh, one of my best shots in golf is whenever I hit into the woods, I have a great what's called a punch shot where you punch out. Every time I punch out from the woods, people go, man, you, that was a great shot. How do you do that? I've never admitted publicly why I'm so good at it, but I'm going to tell you today. The reason I'm so good at a punch shot is I always aim at the tree directly in front of me. I ain't hit it yet. It's incredible, okay? But it's always been amazing to me in the game of golf. The ball's not moving, big flat club, nobody trying to defend you, how difficult the game of golf really is. How many of y'all are watching the Riders' Cup right now? Sure, some of you are. Actually, one of our elders is actually at the Riders' Cup right now. How cool is that? But I've always been surprised at how, how difficult golf is. You know, sometimes in life, uh, maybe you're here tonight and... Um, you walked in the store, and all the laughing aside and kidding aside, man, life hits you upside the head tonight, right? Uh, someone in your family didn't behave maybe quite the way they should, or the finances aren't exactly as you had hoped, or some dreams in your heart haven't quite seen the fruition, or you started towards dreams hoping they would see fruition, and they didn't, and we get smacked upside the head with the difficulty of life. And in fact, in Christianity, it's one of the great dangers is, and when we get this a lot in, in the teaching, and I would say false teaching uh, from preachers that tell us, hey, once you become a follower of Jesus, it gets, just gets easier, right? And we get hints of that. And by the way, one of the things I'm going to talk about in the shock series is we shouldn't be shocked when God blesses us because God does promise blessing. That's going to be in the coming weeks. But we also shouldn't be shocked by the difficulty of life. And here's why. Life is broken. Life is broken, and, and we shouldn't be shocked by the brokenness of life. And this goes all the way back to the first story. Genesis chapter 1 through 3 is the, is the creator God painting this amazing picture, this amazing tapestry, and placing the human race in paradise, literally in paradise. And in Genesis chapter 3, it all kind of comes unwound, if you will, and sin and brokenness enter into planet earth and the destructive nature of that moment of genesis chapter 3 it, 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 it goes with us to this very day and whatever burden you carry into this room tonight can be traced back to genesis chapter 3 and the broken nature of life you see, God took man and he took woman and he put them in this perfect place. And this man and this woman, they had a perfect relationship with the God of the universe. It was unhindered by sin. It was unhindered by selfishness. Their relationship with one another was perfect. There was never a moment in that marriage relationship where they were not perfectly fulfilling one another's needs. Can you imagine? There was never a moment in that marriage relationship where they did not look out for their, their spouse's needs as more important than their own needs. Can you imagine? This relationship was absolutely perfect. But in this garden, there were two trees that God set, had placed there. The first tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The second tree was the tree of what? Anybody know? Tree of what? Anybody know? Tree of life. That's right. Two trees. Two trees. 
And in this perfect setting where there's these two trees, one of which Adam and Eve were allowed to take part of, the other they were not, the enemy of God, Satan, shows up. And in Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to look at several verses here tonight, Genesis 3 verse 1, it says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. One day, though, he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? She said, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it. I want you to circle this in your handout if I have it. Do I have this in your handout? It was really long, so I might not have put it in. Circle this in your Bible. She said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you'll die. You will die? The serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, there's a couple points to be made here. First of all, the statement that Eve made was only half true. If you read your first couple chapters of Genesis, you will find that God did not tell her not to touch it. Why is that important? Because half truth is as dangerous as no truth. Because probably when she touched it, there was some expectation that she should have not expected because it wasn't true. There's great danger in half-truth. The second thing you see in this part is that Satan begins to deny the truth. Satan begins to question the character of the God that we worship and the God that we live for. The next thing we see is after Adam and Eve take and eat the fruit, the blame game starts. Inside their relationship and the relationship with God. And in Genesis chapter 3 verse 9, it says, Then the Lord God called the man, and he says, Where are you? For the first time in the history of mankind, humanity is hiding from God. I'm not going to point any fingers tonight, but let me ask you something. Are you hiding from God tonight? There's stuff going on in your life that you know is in rebellion to the word of God, and you're hiding from God because that's where Adam and Eve find themselves. It's the first time this ever happened. Where are you? Adam replied, I, I heard you walking in the garden, and so I hid and I, because I was afraid because I was naked. By the way, in Bible times, nakedness, of course, implies no clothing, but it's deeper than that. It's kind of a complete openness and honesty. And so for the first time, man realizes their dependence on God, and he doesn't like it. He says, I heard you walking, and I, so I hid myself. And some of you this morning, this evening, I mean, I'm glad you're here, but you've been, the truth be told, in your heart, in your spirituality, you've been hiding from God. This goes back to the very first story and our brokenness and our sin. So God starts to ask some questions like, who told you you were naked? And did you eat of the tree? I told you not to. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, it says, then the man replies. This is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. I laugh at it every time I read it. The man replies... It was this woman that you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I just happened to eat it, right? It's a blame game. By the way, who's he really pointing the finger at here? Who's he really pointing? He's pointing the finger at God, not the woman. 
This woman, I was perfectly fine being on earth all alone, all by myself. By the way, you remember Genesis chapter 2? What was Adam's job? Does anybody remember? He had to name all the animals. And when he got done naming all the animals, he realized he was alone. And God, at that point, provided a suitable helper for him. And when God provided Eve, remember the story? He goes, wow, God, this is great. Right? <laughs> Couple, yeah. I know what y'all are thinking. It's Saturday night, okay? Okay. Uh, Married people only, okay, married people only. <clears throat> All right. This is great. Sin enters. Hey, God, let me start with you. I'm in this mess because of you, and now you brought me this woman, okay? And since then, man, every relationship has been broken from this point. From this point, work has become more difficult, from this point, every relationship that you have with your moms and dads, your spouses, your children, your coworkers, your community leaders, every relationship has been tainted by sin, selfishness, and difficulty. It should not shock us that life is difficult. And what we see next in Genesis chapter 3 are the very curses of God. And I want you to see these because these are important to your life. It's important to see the world that you now live in. Genesis 3, 16 says, Then he said to the woman, this is God speaking, he says, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will deliver, uh, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. See, this beautiful nature of marriage has now been marred, and there's kind of this inner thing going on that's not supposed to be. By the way, that's why we often look at Ephesians chapter 5 to show us the biblical order of how a home is to be built. If we're really going to honor the Lord. Ephesians 5, you can read it for yourself later. But there's this kind of this brokenness. And in 17, in verse 17, it says, And the man, he said, since you have listened to your wife and you ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you, and all of your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Anybody have a bad week at work? You guys, nobody over here but raise your hand. All right. <clears throat> Right, yeah. Listen, I can guarantee you these guys have some bad weeks at work, right? There's days that, you know, I, and by the way, I think a lot of people think that about the ministry. Man, if I, just, if I was in the ministry, man, that must be like a good summer camp all the time. No, it's tough, okay? I'm going to tell you something. You better pray for the staff of your church because it is tough. And you're blessed with a good group of people who love the Lord and have integrity, but it's a tough job. And your job's tough. Why? Because it's part of the fallen nature you're going to scratch a living from the ground. It says, uh, uh, b -b -b the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, man, you struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you'll eat of its grains. And by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from the dust, and to the dust you will return. This gets back to last week's sermon. Ready? Don't be shocked by mortality, right? Remember that? And so it's all part of the curse. You live in this broken world that it's just not all together yet. And then God does something incredibly gracious. And, and the verse I'm about to read you, I'm going to bring you full circle in this message. It's one of my favorite full circle messages. I've kind of hit on this before in the past, but man, I love this message. It gets me so excited. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 23, it says, So the Lord banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he was made. And after sending him out, the Lord God stationed a mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to what? What's it say? Tree of life. Now, before I read this verse, what did I say? 
God did something incredibly what? Gracious. Why is that gracious? I mean, he just kicked us away from eternal life. The reason it's gracious is because it would be hell on earth if we lived in this broken nature forever and ever and ever and ever. In fact, I was talking to Pastor Jeff this, this evening. We're talking about the movie, The Green Mile. I don't know how many of y'all have ever seen that movie, The Green Mile, but the end of the movie is actually quite sad. Remember, uh, Tom Hanks has been living a really long time. And there's this sadness to him, like, I don't know how long this is going to go on because I've buried all my loved ones, I've buried all my friends, and that's all I do is I keep burying people, I keep burying people, I keep burying people. Why? Because it's a gr- it's a ho- it'd be a horrible thing to live in a sin nature, a broken uh, world forever and ever and ever. And so God, by his graciousness, he protected the human race from the tree of life. And church, we should not be shocked that life is difficult. Sin has entered the world, and it is broken until the return of Christ and the establishment of his kingdom. Which reminds me of what Jesus said in his first sermon. Jesus said this in his first sermon in Matthew chapter 6. He says, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow uh, will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Right? He said, look, you got enough to worry about today. By the way, uh, this is a side note, right? You know what worry is? Worry is taking all the stuff you got tomorrow and importing it into today as if you can do something about it today. That's what worry is. It's meditating about tomorrow's problems a day in advance. We can grab those thoughts in our mind. We can arrest them. We can nail them to the foot of the cross and say, you know what? I'm going to let tomorrow worry about itself. I got enough trouble today, right? And so Jesus makes it clear, every day is going to be a challenge. And so church, I don't want you to be shocked we live in a difficult world. The second thing I want you to be aware of is there's difficulty because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, instead of it getting easier, it actually amps up the difficulty. Or at least it should if we're living for the Lord. And here's why. Jesus always stirs controversy. Jesus always will stir controversy. In John chapter 15, Jesus said this, verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if, it belong, if you belong to it. But you're no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of this world, so now it hates you. Church, I... If we're followers of Christ, and I'm not, I'm not talking about we should go out in the community and be annoying, okay? A lot of people know plenty of annoying Christians. I'm not talking about that. But if you're here tonight, especially, especially when you become a new believer, right, and you're a new follower of Christ, and you had all these friends you were hanging around with, and all of a sudden, if you're really following hard after the things of Christ, you're really following hard after the things of the Lord, you're not going to desire to do what everyone else is doing, And what that does is it exposes their mess to the truth of God, and suddenly they don't want to be a part of that. Or at least that should happen. And so Jesus says, we should expect that if you know me, it's going to stir some controversy. By the way, um, this time of year is great, right? I mean, I love the every four-year elections. I mean, politics takes... By the way, can I just put a little side note? I read this the other day. Please don't forward me any more emails that start with, this is the most important election of our lifetime. Like, ah, I get those every four years. Yes, this is the one that's going to make the whole world come crumbling down, right? 
Some of y'all really believe that. Okay. <clears throat> uh, anyway. Okay. It's awkward in here now. <laughs> but people say this, right? You go out with people and say, hey, you can talk about anything you want, but don't talk about religion and what? Politics, right? Don't talk about those two things. I would say, you know what? That's not completely true because you can go into the community and you can talk religion and people are okay with it. And you can talk Islam and people don't get all stirred up. Shoot, you can even talk about God. People don't get all stirred up. But I want to tell you something. You bring up the name of Jesus Christ in public, and it gets awkwardly uncomfortable pretty quickly. Why is that? I mean, why is Jesus the one that seems to stir the pot? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Jesus walked the earth, and he claimed to be 100% God and 100% man at the same time. By the way, if, if you're running around in circles and people are saying, hey, you know, we believe that this Jesus was just a good teacher or, or a good prophet, you've never read the Gospels. Jesus was incredibly controversial. Jesus claimed to be the only way to God. He claimed that one day he was going to die and come back to life. Jesus claimed to have pre-existed with God himself. Jesus claimed to be the only pathway to God. Jesus claimed that if you want to have eternal life, it is only through him. Jesus claimed if you want to have the abundant life, it's by keeping your eyes and your heart focused on him. Jesus claimed that if you want to have real life, you've got to lose it and die to yourself and follow him. He's not just a good teacher. He is radical, he's exclusive, he's extreme, and he's controversial, and he makes it clear that nobody knows God unless you know him, period. That's why Jesus is going to cause you problems if you really know him. The world doesn't want to know anything about that. You want to know why that is? Because people are not naturally truth seekers. In fact, the Bible says that in our natural state, apart from God, we hate the truth. Jesus said this very thing in John chapter 3. He says, and the judgment is based on this fact that God's light came into the world, but people loved the what? What's it say? Darkness. What's that about? That's Genesis chapter 3. That's Adam and Eve hiding when God comes looking. Why? Because they knew they were in a sinful state. They had disobeyed their creator, the one who had made the rules. You, we can sit here and argue all day about why God made the rules. He's creator. He made them that way. And so they're hiding from God. And John, John chapter 3, Jesus says, the world hates the light because it loves the darkness. By the way, some of you in this room, before you followed Christ, if I were to bring your testimony, bring your story up here and ask you, what was your life like? You would say, yes, you would testify this. I used to love the things that were opposite of God. That's what I pursued. But people love the darkness more than the light, and their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near the light. Why? It is for fear their sins will be exposed. Church, we should not be shocked if we're followers of Christ that there will be difficulties and challenges. Jesus told us that. Now, some of you are saying, man, Pastor Sean, I came here to feel better tonight. You know, I'm not feeling a whole lot better, but uh, I want to bring this full circle. This is where this sermon really gets me excited. Because there is hope in difficult times. 
What I'm going to bring you around to full circle, man, I hope you celebrate with me. But there is hope in, biblical, in difficult times. First thing is, of course, there's hope in Christ. Church, it's why we sing about Jesus Christ. It's why we worship him. It's why we talk about him over and over and over. He is our only hope in this broken, difficult life. Jesus said in John 16, he says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because, what's Jesus say? I have what? Overcome the world. Your hope in overcoming the difficulties of this world is in Christ alone. Seek first, Jesus said, the kingdom of God above all else. Keep your eyes focused on him. Of course, Jesus is talking about his resurrection too. But here's the cool thing. Jesus, God the Father, through his son Jesus, is in the process of restoring all that was broken and lost in Genesis chapter 3. I know I've read you a lot of scripture tonight, but I've got to read you one here that just, I want to bring it full circle. If you have your Bible, in fact, you need to turn with me. Turn to Revelation chapter 22. I want you to see Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. Because here's your hope. Here's, if you're a follower of Christ, this gets back to what we talked about last week. Here's the future. The Bible, there, if, if you ever get out like a, a concordance or you do some kind of Bible search, if you've got a, a search engine, and you type in the phrase, the tree of life, the tree of life only shows up about three or four times throughout your Bible. It's sprinkled in. Genesis 3, of course, here in Revelation 22, somewhere in Proverbs, I believe, it talks about wisdom being the tree of life, seeking God, godly knowledge, wisdom is the tree of life. It only comes up a couple times, but it's, it's kind of this main theme of Scripture. Remember, the life is broken. Sin has broken us. There were two trees in the garden, but God kicks Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. He places the angel protecting mankind from living eternally in that state. The last week's sermon, don't be shocked by our mortality because there's a wage of our sin. We die, yes, but there's an eternal future. Revelation chapter 22, this is it, ready? This is the apostle John who gets a glimpse into the heavenly glory of what God is going to do. And in Revelation chapter 22, it says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of Main Street, and on each side of the river grew, what? The tree of life. Bearing 12 crops of fruit with fresh crop each month, and the leaves were used for the medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night, and there will be no need for lamps for, or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. That's a glimpse of our future. And church, I, you know, I hold up this book, and I, I, I pointed to you to two verses at the beginning and at the end. And when I hold up this book called The Word of God, man, we do all kinds of stuff with this book. We systematize it and we organize it. And we dig down into the minutia of it and we fight over it. We build buildings around it and we split churches over it. 
But there's a couple key themes that go from beginning to end. And one of those key themes is that all that is broken, God is seeking to restore through his son, Jesus Christ. And even though we had left the tree of life, all of the Old Testament is pointing us to the one who God is using to restore all things, his son, Jesus Christ. And in the New Testament, Jesus fulfilled what the first Adam could not. He kept all the rules perfectly. Then he paid a penalty for the unkept law by dying on the cross for your sin and my sin. Then he rose again from the grave Easter Sunday to show that God is fully able and fully over all the enemies of God conquering death. And in Revelation 22, it says he is coming again to establish a new heaven and a new earth for the glory of God. And he is doing that so that we all have the opportunity to return to the tree of life as he originally intended it. I had a professor in seminary that said this. He said, where he's taking us is even better than the place that Adam was. You say, how could that be? Because Adam was in a position to sin. When we get to heaven, we will no longer be in a position to sin. We'll be no longer even be able to sin and disobey the very words of God. Why? Because of the works and the favor we have of God because of his son, Jesus Christ. Does that inspire anyone else or just me? It's incredible. It's incredible. And whenever I think about where I'm going and where I get to spend my eternity because of God's son, Jesus Christ, when I feast my heart on the future laid out for me in the book of Revelation, something happens to this world for me. It grows strangely dim. The difficulties and the worries and the struggles, they go strangely dim. The temptations, they lose their grip. Worry is almost gone. I'm no longer shocked that this world is broken. But man, do I have hope in the work of God and the future that we have in Jesus Christ. That is our hope. I want to finish with the story, and then we're going to look at a verse. I want to close with prayer. I want you to imagine with me that January 1st, 2012, was the absolute worst day of your life. I mean, the most horrific day. You, could, you woke up, you get up in the morning, you wake up with an awful migraine. Just terrible. So you decide, you know, hey, I got this migraine, I better go to the doctor. And on your way to the doctor, you get into a car accident. And the person you get in an accident with is an uninsured motorist. And now we've got two total cars that are now your responsibility. You finally get out of the doctor's office. You get a friend to pick you up since your car's been wrecked. You head over to work. You get to work. You find out that the company's downsizing and you're first on the list. You finally make your way home, and when you get home, there's a phone, there's a message waiting for you from the teacher that all four of your children got in trouble at school that day. Your wife gets home, and you two begin to argue over how to bring these children up. 
And finally, at the end of the day, after arguing, sleeping in separate rooms, you, you and your wife go to separate areas of the house, you sleep in separate beds that night, and it was just the worst day of your life. The very next morning, you get up, January 2nd, 2012, and uh, your phone rings first thing in the morning. It's a, it's a business that in, was in competition with your own business. They found out about what a great job you were doing. They call you, and they offer you a job on the spot with twice the pay and twice the benefits. By lunchtime, you found out that you inherited a couple million dollars from a long-lost relative you ain't ever met. <clears throat> Later, you find out that you had... We're at a subway not that long ago, and you filled out one of those little raffle entry forms that you put in the box right there, right? And you want an opportunity to play golf with Tiger Woods. When that finally happens, you go and you play Tiger Woods, and lo and behold, you beat him. <laughs> that was probably cooler a couple years ago. Okay. Your marriage improves. I mean, it is great. I mean, you and your wife are like two little newlyweds, man. It's just the marriage is going great. Your kids, they're now doing so well in school that the teacher calls you up to speak to the PTA about how to parent because apparently you know what you're doing. And the whole year goes like this. It's just one great event after the next. And on December 31st, 2012, someone stops you and they ask you, hey, how was your year? What would you say? Hey, it was great. I had an unbelievable year. And they pause for a minute and say, wait a minute, how, how was your first day of the year? And you go, you know, it was horrible. I, I almost forgot. You know, the last 364 days have been so amazing that I, I almost forgot about that one day. Some of you came in here tonight, man, and your burden was heavy and the difficulty of life is weighing you down. Some of you came in here and everything's going great. I got bad news for you. Okay, there's going to be a tough day ahead. All right. We shouldn't be shocked by the difficulty of life, but I really believe that one day we're going to look back from eternity future. And someone's going to say, hey, hey what was it? remember that bad couple weeks, bad month, bad year, bad lifetime? And you're going to scratch your head and you're going to go, oh, yeah, I almost forgot. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, you ready for this? For our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last for how long? Forever. Church, we have an amazing hope. Don't be shocked by difficulty. But let me encourage you. We have a great hope in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And when he returns, he is going to re or he's going to establish his kingdom as he always intended for it to be. 
And it is going to be an amazing eternity. Don't set your sights on this world. But set your sights on Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for this great message. I thank you so much for Revelation chapter 22 that reminds me, God, that this story that you've been unfolding over thousands of years, revealing piece by piece the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And now, God, your church carries this message of hope to a lost and dying world. We give you praise, God. Yes, life is difficult, and we're not shocked by that. But, God, we have a tremendous hope. And for me tonight, God, it makes me long all the more for the return of your son. When you will return and set it all straight, God. And God, we are mindful tonight that whatever we're going through, whatever burdens we carry, they are momentary and they are light compared to the eternal weight of glory. God, we long for that day, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Church, this is our offering time. If uh, you're a guest with us, first of all, I want to thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, We don't want you to feel any obligation to give any money. This service is our gift to you. Uh, One thing we'd love to have from you is on the side of that bulletin is a connect card. If you fill that out, we'll send you a thank you card for coming. Uh, But this is one of the ways we worship the Lord, and if you'd like to join us in that, you're welcome to do that. Uh, Also, if you have any prayer needs, that Connect card's a great way uh, to share any prayer concerns. Uh, And we've got a great prayer team that will uh, lift those prayers and those requests up to the Lord this week. Joey.